Welcome to Probably Science. I'm your host, one of three, in fact. I'm Jesse Case. And I'm Andy Wood. I'm Matt Kirshen. Hey, everyone. Sorry, we took a, we had a little scheduling issues. We took a, a few days off while we tried to get ourselves in the same, uh, we're not in the same place at the no. same time, but the same, the same metaphorical place at the same time. Yes. We're all so same busy, headspace. just jet setting around, careers on fire, you know? <laughs> It's crazy. Busy, busy, busy. Yeah, this, it's it's like a some sort of super group trying to get. It's like the traveling Wilburys trying to organize this. <laughs> trying it to re, is trying to re, re, uh, reincarnate uh, three of their members. Have you have you looked up their age when they formed? That's depressing. Oh God, it's really <laughs> it's really weird how old people looked. Like, you know, like is it smoking? Is that all it was? I, you know, no, like I, when you see people like this was a thirty-five-year-old man. Like it's a photo in the eighties. I, I think like, it's also I. I you know, I, my my little pet theory is that it's just we associate that look with old because that's what pictures of our dads look like or our grandparents, depending on the era. Yeah. Like is it, you know, if you look at like whenever they show politicians' yearbook photos, like Mitt Romney's yearbook photo, he looks like he's about forty. Sure. <laughs> Sure. Uh, so that, that's yeah. That that's what I think. Anyway, we should introduce our guest. Let's do uh, it. A youthful, a, a, a young <laughs> yeah, he looking. Looks, looks very young, very spry. His uh, his yearbook photo. Oh, oh, it's it's right from the current era. It's <laughs> it's very funny. Greg Berman. Hey, Greg, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. How are you guys? I'm good. I'm good. We we kicked together two nights ago. Yes, one night ago. Two, two nights ago. Yeah, yeah. Saturday, I think. Right. Yeah. Something like that. We we gigged together recently. It was good to see you again. You're uh, I hadn't realized you you had a motorbike accident since I saw you last. You had a motorbike accident and mostly recovered since I saw you. A lot's happened to you since we last saw each other. Yeah. What's 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 going on with this? What's happening? Yeah. It was uh, <laughs> it was wild. It was at the beginning of this year. I uh, I I hit a car. Well, a car hit me uh, while I was just driving. I was just going straight through an intersection, and this lady was turning left and. Uh, right in front of me and I hit her and uh, I blacked out. I flew like 30 feet apparently according to the documents and I like broke five of my ribs and my collarbone and my knee. So I've just been recovering for the last three, four months. I've been at home. <sighs> Can't be Man. anywhere. God. Man. That's so I, was there a recording like a, a stoplight cam recording or anything or like how did how did you know, piece together what happened? It's crazy. There's actually, I, I don't know. I'm kind of hoping that there is because the police didn't even file a report. There's no, there's no report of this happening. I called the LAPD and they were like, yeah, the best we can tell you is the intersection where your bike was impounded from. And that's it. That's all they know. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <clears throat> so wow. obviously the person didn't stop then or? Well, she was turning, she was turning left and uh, she started turning while I, while it was still, you know, green light for me, and I was just, she must not have seen it, seen me yeah. or something. So right as I entered the intersection, she started her turn, and then so we she just, just kind of turned across your path, right in front of me. Yeah. No, but then, I mean, it was, was it like a hit and run? Like, yeah. Did she just leave? Oh, no, no, no. She she stuck around. Although, like, I don't know because I blacked out immediately, and I came to when the paramedics were like, they had already like taken my helmet off, like cut oh my, my jacket God. open, all that stuff. So like, and I was thinking about that, like. It probably took the ambulance and the EMT people like a good 15 minutes to get there. So I must have just been laying on the street for like 15 minutes, just unconscious. I can't oh imagine what that God. lady was thinking. Like she has no idea, you know, like 
That's wild. I have no idea. Yeah. Or maybe you were conscious and it's literally a blackout, not unconscious, like a blackout. You just your memory was erased, right? So I, oh yeah, I I yeah. Mean, you I, might have I you suppose. might have had whole conversations like that you don't remember. <laughs> I would love to know what those. I haven't talked to her, and I like I don't think I can because technically we're like. I'm, I'm we're in a lawsuit. I mean, we yeah. have to like, yeah. There's like stuff going on with our insurance company. Yeah, you probably can't like send her a DM just going, "Hey, did I say anything no. funny?" <laughs> <laughs> I was, I'm a comedian. Uh, I just want to know. If oh, this is great. how this is the beginning of a romantic comedy. I can feel it, <laughs> dude. <This> is, I, <laughs> I really have this like morbid curiosity to talk to her. Like, I really want to know what she thought and thinks and thinks right now. Like, she might hate me I, in theory. I don't know. Like, it's probably traumatic for her too. My, I'm sure she uh, hates that it happened. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure she's just finding ways to, you know, make it in her own mind not her fault. I would right, guess. I right, and my, and by insurance too. <laughs> yeah, man, my um, my dad on one of his calf muscles has two scars on either side because his kickstand went through his leg oh. in a in a bike oh, in a man. bike accident, and uh, he wound up eventually making friends with the guy. It was a very similar thing. The kickstand. Where, yeah, he made yeah. friends with it. He's friends with a kickstand now. He supports it. Um, yeah, they go fishing together. He kind of yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, eventually, after everything all settled down, you know, um, I guess yeah. they're you know they're friends now. I have no ill will towards her. Like I'm sure you know from her perspective, she was just like doing her shit and just didn't see me or something. But like, she's just an actress. Like I think she's just like an actress in L.A. doing her thing. Has been in a couple things. I, I have no idea. It's like so something. I'd love to talk to her. Her, her last name's Heard, I think. It's like I forgot. It's yeah. something with an A. First name. Amber. Uh, uh, maybe Amber. It's an A name. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, uh, I, not to completely switch subjects, but uh, Greg, you and I have never uh, met in person. I don't. I don't hang out with people that are in wheelchairs. I don't. I don't yeah, associate no. with anyone that. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's too high maintenance. Neither and, do and, I. Yeah. I, <laughs> no. Uh, you and I have never met. I'm out in Nashville at the moment, but I noticed as soon as you as soon as you logged on. Very relaxing voice, you know. And Thank then you, you were, yeah. And then you were saying you you did a guided meditation podcast. And yeah. I've been I've been getting into a little bit of the old mindfulness. What's what's this all about? What do you what's this? Well, what are it you started. Uh, it was it was kind of fun actually. It started on a show. Actually, I think Matt, I had uh, tried to get you on this show. This was so. This was like 2019, maybe. 2020. I was doing. Um, I was producing a stand-up show in a yoga studio. And I thought it'd be really funny to open with like a comedy guided meditation. So I just wrote okay. one and it was like a quick, like five minute thing, but people really liked it. And then I did it again at the Soho house and people liked it there too. And they're like, can we find these recorded somewhere? So I just started recording them and they're just, I don't know. It's kind of hard to explain, but they're like five to 10 minute episodes. There's like 40 of them. It's called Greg's guided meditation. And I just sort of put on this like, Hello, and welcome right, to today's right. guided meditation. And it's pretty much like if a late night monologue were to meet like a yoga guru. So I just make fun of like topical current events, some weird like obscure shit. And then uh, I do it all in this very calming voice. That's funny. That's great. I love I've, I've, uh, is like I, last summer. I was having a lot of anxiety and I had to like, I mean, I didn't have to, but I started, I started watching, there's some guided meditation people on like YouTube and it's brutal because some of them are, I've noticed that they, uh, they do sponsored ads, but they're still doing the voice. 
It's like mm-hmm. in the in the meditation. <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, like like and exhale and you're gonna wanna exhale for six seconds. Remember longer breaths on the exhale. And a good way to check that is with your Swatch. If you get a swatch, yes. that's an swatch. offer code. Uh, it's like this is insane. You you sort of come out of it like craving uh, craving a new watch from the eighties. And if you're stressed about money yeah. problems, check out ZipRecruiter. That's ZipRecruiter. <laughs> yeah, it's it was uh, it's ridiculous. So you know, I'm looking. You for really do have free. a good voice for that, though. They're like yeah. that, like yeah, that's oh, unreal. Like that's Jesse unreal. was just doing the bit, but then you started doing it, and I was like, that really actually. Yeah, that's okay, next level. I'm kind of feeling it. So yeah, I recruit people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have I have horrible ASMR voice. People get more awake when they're well, around me. And it was I, like it was kind of a fun concept because I think after the first two or three episodes, I got kind of tired of just doing the guided meditation stuff. So I started to get weird with it, and eventually, like. One of the episodes, uh, like, is written entirely in, like, Shakespearean iambic pentameter. <laughs> There's, like, another episode where I have a fight with the sound guy. So I'm like, welcome to this beach. And then I had my sound guy, like, put in a really, like, loud beach with too many birds. And I'm like, <laughs> this beach has a little too many birds. Maybe there's some less, less birds. And then by the end, he, like... He like rage quits, and then I have to finish the episode with no sound. It's it was just a it was like a really weird thing, and then eventually it like devolved into this thing where the guru is actually really not doing well. Like I started writing it from this perspective of this guy who's teaching you all of this mindfulness and how his life is slowly falling apart. Uh, so what, if, so once again, if, if people want to find that, what's the? It's called Greg's Guided Meditation, and it's available on. Any platform that you prefer. <laughs> <laughs> That's very, very funny. Yeah. So Greg, Greg, we like to ask our guests this before we get before we get into the stories from this week's science. So what, if anything, is your science background? And that's range from classes you've liked or hated as a kid to blowing stuff up in the woods with your friends. Um, I think my favorite, like my science. I mean, I don't have any specific science background, um, but I think. If I were to pick something, I would say, like, physics. Like, I think physics is so fucking cool. Like, that's how science fiction is done with, like, all of those concepts and the and the quantum theories and all of that stuff. I think physics is probably the most exciting of of the sciences, probably followed by, like, maybe biology, because I—not biology, zoology, because I love animals. So that's probably the my favorite. I'm with uh, you on physics. That's the shit right there. So yeah. fucking cool, man. <laughs> Yeah. And everything else could be explained with it, theoretically. Yeah. Like, physics could also encompass you know, chemistry, biology, philosophy, poetry. Like, you can't say that about, you know, I know it's all about different scales, sort of, but you can't say that that's all Wait, what do you mean chemistry. That? What do you mean poetry? Back- I mean, literally everything that happens, happens as, as, uh, as like, you know, an emergent phenomenon that... Be- began from the rules of physics so you can't say that about biology right. biology oh, okay. is a subset of all things which physics is, i mean it would take the most complicated computer that will never exist to go from all you know the four fundamental forces to um Macbeth, but it doesn't mean it isn't how it that Macbeth came from the four fundamental forces just right. a long protracted uh i think what he's saying is that everything emerged from the big bang thus physics 
I mean, that's, I, that's not untrue. Yeah, yeah and then everything, totally. everything, everything that's happened since then has been guided by these four forces. And right. our conversation right now is happening because of outcomes of those four forces interacting. And the four like, forces you're talking about fire, uh, yes, yeah. water, uh, spirit, uh, yeah, yes. air. The, I don't know. Is this wind and hope? An I'm combining the band with the fundamental forces now. So, yeah. Did, did Earth, Wind, and Fire ever open for Heart? <laughs> like just a straight up Captain Planet concert. <laughs> How did they leave out water though? It's so. What's a great one to leave in? Like, oh, I'm sorry. Blood, sweat, and tears. Did, did, and did wet, wet, wet make it to America? Blood, sweat, and tears. Wet, wet, wet did. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, last thing before we launch into some science stories, um, Greg uh, says here you're uh, you're from Ukraine. I am. Yeah, I was is, born is in the, Ukraine. Is the fam okay? Is what's going on? Uh, we actually moved. We moved to America in 1998 uh, as as religious refugees seeking asylum here because uh, Ukraine doesn't love Jews. Um, mm. That's just yeah. the thing. That's just right? true. And so we came to America, where America's eh about Jews. It seems I'm not entirely sure where America. <laughs> right, falls just on zero Jews. zero anti-Semitism in America. Yeah, this is this <laughs> just, is the haven for Jews yeah. here in America. Um, <laughs> But I've pretty much grown. I mean, I, yeah, I grew up. I grew up in Minnesota my whole life. Um, you know, we don't have a lot of family still in Ukraine. Okay, I, I was wondering, just like, extended. You know, yeah, yeah, like a, my dad's cousin or something. There's some folks that are still there, but we we're from like the sort of west southwestern side, like close to Moldova. So I don't think that region oh, okay. has seen a lot of like specific conflict, but. Uh, yeah, it's definitely been crazy because I actually haven't been back to Ukraine since we came to America and I've been like kind of wanting to go for a while. But ever since I graduated from college, it's just been like one conflict after another. They had that crazy election and that guy got po poisoned and then the poisoning. Had, like, that was the craziest. Yeah, yeah I mean, not as crazy like, as a war, but yeah, three civil wars between then between all these folks. And now this is just like they, Ukraine just can't catch a break. You know what I mean? I just want to go back and visit. God damn it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess 1998. Um, I mean, I'm not saying like it's it's all been crushing it, but 1998, I guess, was particularly shitty. That was like right. That was the was fall like, of the Soviet Union. I like just yeah, just yeah. snuck in. I was actually born like a month before the Soviet Union collapsed. So my my birth certificate is handwritten on like a little like green like foldable piece of cardboard that has a hammer and sickle on it. It's so fucking cool. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Wow. What wow. languages did you grow up speaking? Russian. Uh because in Ukrainian, uh, I knew Ukrainian, but it was prim Ukrainian was primarily spoken in some of the smaller parts of Ukraine. Sorry, not smaller, like more rural. And I lived in like a bigger city. And because like most of the bigger cities spoke Russian because of the Soviet Union's influence. Right. Right. So I speak Russian. That and makes what's sense. Your, what's your opinion of the comedy of Yakov Smirnov? Oh, yeah, this is we're all leading up. We we also ask everyone this. It's not yeah, it's yeah, it's part of super topical. Yeah, it's actually weirdly it's, it's, it's weirdly apt today. But uh. is it what 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 did he do? He's been in, he's in the news. No, I just oh, no, with just you as a guest. Yeah. But oh, just but it, you know, it's just a standard third question. It just so happens. Um, I think he's great. I love how campy he is. I think it's funny. Like anyone that can pull that off for a full career, hats off to you. I respect you. Like that's a pretty specific style that he nailed. So good for him. Yeah. It's especially because I, I don't know if you ever watched the Ben Stiller show. It came on when you were being born, I think. Uh, <laughs> but 
Ben Stiller did a Yakov character as the Soviet Union was collapsing, and he's just like flop sweating on stage because he doesn't know what to do because he can't make analogies to life in the right. And, right. and instead of saying what a country, he says what a collection of former Soviet republics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's. I think he's great. I, I saw him live once at. I think it was the comedy store and what a treat, you know, to just and I think at the time he was getting like a PhD at Pepperdine. What? And I was like, in what? In in Russian <laughs> studies, in being awesome? What were you doing at Pepperdine? <laughs> I did I grew up a fan of his. I mean, I guess any comedy I could see in the late eighties, early nineties I was a fan of. But um I had his book America on six rubles a day. I still remember a lot of the jokes. They're very like punny, dad jokey, adjacent uh but I loved it. Like ten year old me loved it. Yeah, of course. It's weird how like I mean, obviously Jakob Smirnoff uh, took off in America because it. I'm I'm not saying like the comedy wasn't great. It was, but it was it was extremely marketable because it was like, like uh, you know, there's this superpower Cold War conflict, and then it's like comforting to people. It's like a little self deprecating. Like yeah, this is great. Yeah. And did we did we have that with like the Iraq Afghanistan? Was the closest we got like Borat? Well, mm. but, well, I would say like he. What I think what Yakov Smirnov was was a palatable version of what we were vilifying, yeah. right? Yes. In a way, totally, so totally. I, so I think during the Iraq War and all of that conflict, I think what we did have was Jeff Dunham's Ahmed the Dead Terrorist. Yeah. There you that go. That was okay. huge at that time. And then yeah. I think also now that I kind of think about this, I think Larry the Cable Guy falls into a similar spectrum of, you know, we kind of make fun of the South and the Southern folks, and Larry the Cable Guy was like the most palatable version of that. Yeah. But by that logic, it would be like, you know, coastal elites who embraced Larry the Cable Guy because he let us uh, find a way and find an end to that community, but it wasn't really, so, not, you know... Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm just. I'm. I do think. I do think. Yeah, that, the, the people question, he's the people he's making fun of are his fans, which totally. is interesting. Right. Um, hmm. In the same way that Yakov Smirnov was making fun of Russia, but in like this very easy to easy to consume way that let Americans in on this right. thing that we were all scared of. Yeah, and maybe also like took away you know <clears throat> took away its teeth. Like it, it's yeah. like the the enemy. It, representative it, of the enemy it, is saying we're actually a paper tiger basically you know what not we, to make we, it to you know what we did have during that same era during the first Iraq war anyway uh, the equivalent would be uh, Sergeant Slaughter and the Iron Shake. I was gonna say the Iron Sheik but I didn't know if that really it, applied <laughs> yeah. that's 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 what it was that was like that like I don't think there was one in like stand-up comedy but that's sort of the most adjacent version of that in popular entertainment Mm. cartoon version of but which conflict in the middle east was the iron cheek a representative of or a way to deal with uh, that was, was one of the non-stop ones well yeah well just, yeah it was it was the first the first gulf war no because he was he was around in the 80s so it might have been like a, a, a oh, oh, oh also just like response to i don't know Qaddafi or who else were we and ayatollah khomeini yeah. yeah i wonder yeah if, so it would have been it would have been iran and then it was that but then but then Sergeant Slaughter then pledged allegiance to Saddam Hussein and became the hate, most hated villain in America. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that happened. I wonder if, like, you could you could do a thesis on, like, um, predicting geopolitics based on popular comedians. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, pretty soon, right? Like, within the next 10 years, the most popular comedian in America will be, like, Chinese. 
like but or but Russian. it'll be like hello it'll, yeah it'll be it'll be like comfort yeah there you go but like in, in like a comforting weird way where we'll be like this is okay you know right i mean in the All way that thanks tic- to i mean physics. tiktok is tiktok is that just in app form yeah it's getting us yeah. ready for yeah. our chinese overlords like it's yeah yeah no i just i just mean like geopolitical struggles like people are still like when people start getting scared of china you know well, I mean, that, yeah, I think that's what it's a different uh, Yakov would be getting us to not be afraid of the enemy, not because they're trying to take us over, but uh, because they're not to be feared. And China is going to beat us. And so their propaganda is getting us to not be afraid of it because it's happening and we have to accept it. And that's what like, yeah, TikTok yeah, no, and no, John yeah, Cena no, totally. apologizing in Mandarin and all these things are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just uh, I mean, that's just completely inevitable, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I want to know who the Yakov Smirnov is in Russia. That's like the American version of like their Yakov Smirnov, but he's an American guy right. doing like very like stupid American jokes. Right. <laughs> right, right. I bet it's Larry the Cable Guy. <laughs> it's still Larry the Cable Guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I bet there is one. I did read an article about a guy who is the who's an English actor who's the western guy in every chinese action movie oh interesting hmm. and like it's his job basically to be like the villainous english or american or generic western country I yeah but didn't as- we like i was gonna say didn't we see what that looks like in squid game i was just gonna say squid game yeah those four american guys were just the worst worst. they were so hammy and shitty (laughs) at acting (laughs) that made me think all the acting might have been bad in the whole movie i'm like or the whole show because i'm like wait i don't know if these people are acting badly in korean because i don't know what the standard of korean like everyone's very broad and hammy but i don't know if that's just the style of korean acting then i see these americans being broad and hammy i'm like wait maybe all the actors in this are doing an awful job and we just think it's great because we don't know <laughs> yeah uh, those guys took it me out of it so hard as soon as here we go Ke- kevin lee kevin okay. lee is his name and he's the he's a brit who plays the bad guy in chinese patriotic blockbusters okay oh, that's great huh oh that's great i gotta look up what he looks like let me see this picture kevin lee yeah also what a he's, last name. He's the main bad guy in, in movies including Wolf Warrior and Wolf Warrior 2. Oh, yeah, here he is. Oh, but oh he he's plays... a UFC guy, right? Or is this just another Kevin Lee? I don't know. I don't think, I don't think he is. This is, uh, this is really good stuff for the podcast listeners who can't see what we're looking at. <laughs> well, we'll, we put a link, we'll put a link in the show notes, as we, as we always do. Kevin Lee. Look. Oh, also, sad news has just come in. I'm just looking at this BBC sidebar, but the world's oldest person has died aged 119. And this keeps happening. I know. I know. When will it, when will it stop happening? I saw that as well. Yeah. It's, and uh, a, a and Japanese... Elon Musk bought Twitter, too, so that's another piece of sad news. Or Wait, that news, actually went through know. in the last? Yeah. I mean, like, it went what? through. No. Yeah, it's, it's, it's no. No. We're breaking the news right here on this podcast. Oh, my God. This is an interesting moment in our history. Huh. Yeah. What do you guys think will happen? Um, very little, probably. Yeah, I very. I think he'll make a ton of money. I, I you know, no, I or he'll lose a ton of money. Was, I don't think it was a. I, I mean, maybe I just have a different estimation of what he's about. I don't think it was about making money. No, no. He he felt like the stuff that I had seen was that he felt like 
the Twitter leadership was taking the platform in a direction that he felt like was wrong. And so he was like, I think I could do better. And he offered them a certain amount to be on the board or something. And then eventually was like, fuck that. I'll just buy it. And then if you don't accept this bid, then I'll just step away from everything and take away and like sell my shares too. And your stock and will I, tank. Yeah. yeah. And I think it was almost a hostile takeover. If anything, like it felt kind of hostile. Yeah, I thought it was. Yeah, the time. yeah. Well, I saw they did that. Uh, what was that poison pill thing they did? Yeah. How did that I not work? Read it, but that, I, I don't know. I mean, he just, the guy has a ton of money, but it's, uh, I guess I don't know enough about the vision for like, how do you even change it? I don't understand. Well, I, I think there are definitely ways if you aren't beholden to shareholders. So now it's not publicly trade. Did everybody who just who owns stock get bought out? Is he owns it entirely now, or is he a majority stakeholder and it's still publicly traded? I don't. I don't know how business works, but presumably there's a world where someone like him could come in, take it private, and then if you're not beholden to shareholders and you don't have to show growth, and you realize that this thing is essentially important to all aspects of modern life and it can bring down regimes and ruin civilization you might be like yeah i don't need it to grow i just need it to not ruin civilization so i can well, change the optimization it. of algorithms just go back to like a chronological timeline i could uh you know get stop doing various kinds of like slapdash uh blocking and censoring and and require i think the biggest thing you could do as you talked about doing is require verification like you don't have to use your name and no one else has to know your name but you can't be on if you aren't a verified person which that could go a long way to make things like i can only see right. it getting better because twitter is the worst thing one well, of the worst things in the world say. right now so are you guys using it like just i'm just curious because i haven't used twitter in probably five to six years i just have no i don't even care i don't miss it nothing i'm just curious are you guys using twitter because i thought I it was going to be use dead twitter. really yeah okay. i do yeah. I, I i don't like I don't like making, I don't like taking photos and I don't like making videos. So that's the one social media app that I do actually use. Interesting. But, I, yeah, I don't really post. I, I lurk sometimes, but, and I, and I don't even, we don't even update our probably science Twitter because it's like, it's never made a difference in numbers and it just seems like this is the thing that everyone thinks they have to do. And it's like, why bother doing this if it doesn't move the needle? Like, I don't think anybody finds your latest post about your podcast and then clicks through and... Yeah. I, legitimately, I legitimately thought that Twitter was going to die and then Trump became president. And I feel like that's what revived it, because I think we were all starting to really lose interest in Twitter. But Trump liked it so much. And he was such a big news generator that we just couldn't help but stay or stick around just to see the kind of bullshit he was tweeting. So yeah. I, I feel like we can almost owe it to him that it got rescued, because I feel like once Instagram came on board, like, I, I feel like I thought that Twitter was going to go down. I don't know. I don't know how it's still around even. Uh, yeah, I don't either. I mean, it's I don't know. I try to I try to get in, get out. Um, it's only yeah, like, a bummer. We, we you all know. know it's we all know it's a net huge negative for the world, right? I yes, mean, no one's going to yes. say it's a net positive for the world. Like it's a yeah. net huge. Negative, it's it's so. very, very bad. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> and we know and in 10 years, we'll either be done as a civilization or we'll all look back and be embarrassed. We took part in this. We all know that if we're honest with ourselves, like, <laughs> of we course. shouldn't be part of, of course. This. I mean, it's it's when the studies come out. I mean, it's like smoking, right? Like an entire generation had to get emphysema for everyone to go, fuck, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> like but it's not going to be as it's not going to be as like a to b it's going to be a to 
M on this that no one's going to see the things we're already going through were caused by this, but they're I not know. proximate causes. So you can't be like, oh, we got to get off this because you don't see that's what it is. Like, I feel like my favorite thing about Twitter was that they have that like you can use that sort of auto scheduler. So I think big accounts like I used to follow like satirical fact accounts, right? And they were just like, like, like not Bill Nye or some shit like that, right? And they would just post silly things. And they had this thing that would just shoot the tweets out on a certain schedule. Well, I thought, well, the, the problem with that is that if a major, like, global tragedy <laughs> happens, <laughs> yeah, you got to yeah. get to that fucking scheduler fast because I remember so specifically I couldn't stop laughing because it was like it was during the Boston bombing when I was still like using Twitter and I was scrolling through it and everyone was like oh my god I can't believe it I can't believe it I can't believe it and not Bill Nye was like I like big titties and you were like (laughs) so weird in like this context yeah checking out butts in Boston exactly (laughs) it was so I've been busting all over all Oh, no, Bill, not Bill. Yeah, not Bill, not now, not now. Not Bill. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Man, well, you know, I can't picture a world in which uh, we solve this social media problem, but you know who else can't picture things? Hey, there it is. What's up? Uh, people with aphantasia, one of our favorite maladies on this program. We've it is a good, yeah, it's a good malady. A bunch of times, a friend of the Ooh. show, Brandy Posey, has it, and a few other of our past guests. Ooh, tell me about it. I don't think I know what that is. So, so yeah, a- it's... Aphantasia. Oh, Aphantasia is the the absence of visual imagination, is what it says. Like the no Whoa. no mental no mental picture. So. Uh, a bunch of people, like look, a, a surprising number of people, although not surprising if you're one of them, some people have heard us talking about on the show and then just gone like, holy shit, I guess I have this and have never realized and just assumed wow. that when people were talking about picturing things in their head, they were just being metaphorical. But uh, I guess people actually can picture things in their head and I can't. Wow. Um, so yeah, some people, some people just, you know, some people don't, I think a, a friend of the show, Kerry Marks has it as well, I believe. Um, talking how to him you, about it he's just like he just how do you find out about it? like i guess i wonder how at which point do you discover that you can't do that because you'd have to have a pretty specific conversation with someone before you were like wait okay i'm sorry you're saying that when i say this you can see it in your head you know what i mean like how yeah, do you get to a realization of it that's how it happened with friends of ours who, who've talked about it is they had a conversation they realized someone wasn't being metaphorical they were saying they can actually picture something yeah, you're saying like so when when, when I say the word cat to you, you you see like a picture of you see a cat like you yeah. see it like it's a photo or a video of a cat and rather than just like the you know the the concept of a cat that you're imagining. Wow, uh, you're like yeah. Let me ask you guys this question: When you read, I've always thought about this. When you read, do you say the words out loud in your head or no? Because I heard that that's not a thing that everyone does. I sometimes do and sometimes don't, and it's if you can train yourself to not do it, you, you can you read, read quicker. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's one of the first things. I remember reading a thing about how to speed read a few years back, and that, that's Classic one of the first things Matt. they try and tell. Right, that's one of the first <laughs> things they try and tell you how to do is uh, is get out, try and break the habit of reading the words out loud because then you're limited by your speaking speed. Kind of. Do you hear your own voice in your head? Otherwise. I think so, yeah. Does it well, have an I'm going to hear yours from now on, Greg, I think. But that's what's, yeah, it's much more relaxing. What's you guys' uh, internet commenter voice? Like, if I'm, if I'm ever on YouTube, you know, and you look at the comments or something, the, 
in my head, it's always just sort of this generic, douchey sounding guy. Is it the oh, comic yeah. book store guy from The Simpsons or not? No, it's not really the com- ever. <laughs> but but no, it's just like I, it's hard to explain. Um, it's more of just a sensation. But it's same with like like Twitter Twitter replies and things like that. I just I have a generic internet stranger voice. I should say. I have an internet stranger face, which I guess means I don't have aphantasia, and it's just Edward Snowden. Whenever I read a comment, it's. Edward I guess Snowden. I have a face too. Yeah, I guess I sort of have an internet stranger face. Mine is not Snowden. It's way dorkier, and you know. Okay. You know what's you know what's crazy is, and I'd be I'd be curious uh, for Matt as well because I, I I don't think you answer this, Matt, but when you when you hear your voice in your head, do, do you hear it with an English accent, like a British accent? I think so. Yeah. That's interesting. Because I, I was thinking about this, like, I remember when I came to America, you know, there's a moment where you kind of switch into English thinking. Like, my parents, who came here much later than I did, obviously, I was seven, they were older, um, they still, I think, think in Russian and then translate into English as they're talking. Right. Right. And for a while, I was still thinking in Russian. Then eventually, I switched into thinking in English. But the crazy thing is that my dreams sometimes, like right now, I dream in English. But if my parents are in my dreams, sometimes not only do they speak Russian, but everyone else in the dream will start speaking Russian. Oh. It like mm. because I talk to my parents in Russian, so it like applies it to the rest of the dream. And the other thing that's crazy is that. I'm not very good at speaking Russian anymore. Like, it's been long enough that I'm starting to forget my vocabulary. Like, I can understand everything perfectly. But when it comes to, like, immediate recall, like when I'm speaking Russian, it, uh, it just takes a while. Sometimes I forget the words. But in my dreams, I feel like I'm perfect. And I don't know if that's actually true and I'm just speaking poorly but thinking I'm great. Or if my brain has, like, the perfect ability to speak Russian and it's withholding it from me when I'm awake. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I would say it's probably closer to the first one if I had to guess, because you can yes. do it. I do a lot of things in my dreams that I'm definitely not able to do in real life. Uh, <laughs> so it's just list five. <laughs> no, everyone, everyone in my dreams, it's always uh, it's always baby talk, which is weird. You know what? <laughs> I'm a dragon. Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> you at school with no pants on? No, I uh, yeah, it's very unnerving. No, I uh, I think about that with you know I um, I don't know multiple languages, but in my dreams sometimes something weird will happen. Like um, I'll just be looking at a menu. Like let's say I'm at I'm it'll be some silly premise to a dream. Like I'm on a date and I can't decide what to eat at a restaurant. You know, it's like I have like <laughs> I like that your dreams are like hacky joke premises. <laughs> like, yeah, well, like so do you have my, dreams about not not liking the airline food as well. I'm just I do, I do. So like my, you wake up wondering why women are always going to the toilet together. Yeah, <laughs> my, my um, well, like my nightmares are just uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Like I'm I'm they're not they're not tragic or epic. They're just extremely lame and uncomfortable. Like um, it's, it's like a I murderer like, being chuggy among kids. <laughs> sort of. Yeah. It's it's like my you know the the line is too long for the bathroom, and that's like a three hour long dream, and then I wake up. 
and it's, <laughs> it's, it's just I have extreme yeah and to me that's like a, a nightmare it's like it'll be an awkward situation right like um, I'm 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 at a movie I'm watching a movie and I realize there's a sandwich in my pocket that's going bad like it's, <laughs> it's just stupid shit and you and, just like wake up in a cold sweat oh my yeah, god <laughs> yeah yeah but I never I never have like being chased dreams or something wow. you know yeah i have incredibly lame nightmares um well i, I can that <laughs> I, I can picture that sandwich in your pocket you know who can't picture that sandwich in your pocket <laughs> oh so so what i was yes we gotta do the no we gotta story. do it but okay. but what i'm saying okay. is sometimes everything's in abc order and it's perfect abc order my brain does it immediately and i always like so things like that will happen I'll be looking at a menu trying to figure out what I want to eat, and it has like thousands of items because that's the lame nightmare, and it's all in perfect ABC order. And then I wonder, was it really, or is my brain just deciding Wait. this is ABC order? And can you mode? can you read the menu in your dream? Yeah, that's crazy because I remember for a little bit I got into like everyone I got into lucid dreaming just to get a feel because that's so fucking cool when you do it. It's you wake up going like I want to do that every night, but. I looked up how to get good at it, and one of the main things they said was, it's good to start recognizing, to just find um, ways in your life to create habits of checking to see if you're in a dream, because while you're dreaming, those habits will stick with you. And one of the things that they say was look at clocks and look at signs, because in dreams, your brain is so lazy that it generally doesn't care about clocks working or arranging letters on signs to be readable and so it's it's interesting that you can actually read in your dream because i've checked i've like looked in my dreams and signs look like it's just garbled it's just like a garbled mess whoa crazy very yeah so next time yeah next, so like start like there was a there was um then another one is um is light switches generally don't work in your dream because your brain's like because your brain doesn't need to turn lights on it just lights the room if it's supposed to be lit it's like a, it's like a movie if you need to see something in that room it'll just have the light on because your brain doesn't need to worry about logistics so that's another one of those things that it was like you know every time you walk into a room try a light switch or something just to see if it works or whatever and so if you guys want to try it i mean you got to do it for a while so it actually becomes a habit but mm -hmm. I, I wonder if, you know, if you ever catch yourself dreaming and you realize you're dreaming in the dream, see if the clocks are working. Hmm. Try to turn a light switch on, see if the clocks are working. And signs. But, uh, if, you're, if you're wondering if you have aphantasia, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, so this article is, uh, in uh, Nine News, an Australian news site, says that there is now a way, a breakthrough discovery that finds that your pupils can reveal whether you have this absence of a visual imagination. Oh, weird! And, the, and these yeah. are the pupils in your eyes. These are not if you have student, if you're yes. a teacher, and they're name calling. <laughs> if you can picture your students, you don't have it. You don't have it. Are you a substitute teacher? You don't have it. So, so this this article talks about a woman, woman from Sydney named Maddie Burrows, who was in high school when she realized she had a unique condition preventing her from having a visual imagination. She says she made the self discovery while her friends were describing their vivid dreams, while they saw people in places she didn't. She said she dreamt with scripts rather than a show rather than a show reel. Whoa. So she just yeah, reads so, her dreams? I guess. I mean, Boring. I'm, I, yeah, I wonder if it's actually seeing words on a page or just kind of, he, I, I don't know. Anyway, she's saying she mm. still had the plot, the characters, the information, like what people are saying, but it's just a different quality because there was no visual element. So he, she has this thing, aphantasia we've been talking about, which prevents you from having visualized imagery. And um, well, this, 
How but, did she dream pre-language? Like, but like before she were her early her earliest dreams, just like truck, truck, truck. Like when she <laughs> when she was like learning how to talk. Well, I guess it would just be concepts. <laughs> I guess then you're getting into the difference between. Do you need do you need the word for something to categorize it, or can it yeah, just be a general sense of something? Shit. Well, I think dogs like yeah, dogs they dream. dream, and I've actually read articles that dogs tend to dream about their owners, which I think is adorable. Um, but I, I I wonder how they dream. They probably dream in impulses. You know, it's like run, run, food, eat. But dad. it could be visual. I, we don't know. Maybe yeah, it could be smells. Yeah, that would be interesting to dream in smells. <laughs> mm. So Anyhow, this, so, this so, Maddie woman. Uh, yes. Oh, no, I was just getting leading you back in. Yeah. Um, so she's one of an estimated 1.3 million Australians living with aphantasia. It only happens in Australia. It's the weirdest thing. Yeah, it is uh, weird. <laughs> No, Australian news site. So uh, they're saying a study conducted by researchers at UNSW Sydney has found the condition can be detected with a look into the pupil. By measuring pupil dilation, the first physiological evidence of aphantasia has been revealed. The study found that the pupils of people with af- the pupils of people with aphantasia, <laughs> pupils of people, I love that, uh, did not respond when asked to imagine dark and light objects, while those without aphantasia did. So more than 40 people with a visual imagination were fitted with glasses to track their eye movements and pupil sizes. When exposed to brightness, their pupils grew and their darkness shrunk, and in darkness they shrunk. Um, about 19 people with aphantasia exhibited the same pupillary response, constriction to bright, dilation to dark. To test the subject's capacity to visualize objects, they were asked to imagine those same light or dark shapes and subsequently report the vividness of that imagery. The aphantasic participants showed no difference when imagining light versus dark objects, but they did show a difference imagining the objects. How is that they did show a difference imagining the objects, but not light versus dark objects. Anyway, uh, maybe just mean imagining versus not imagining at all. Stupid um, Australians. Can't <laughs> even write an article. <laughs> <laughs> so the pupillary reflex is an ad- adaption that optimizes the amount of light hitting the retina, Professor Joel Pearson said, who was a senior author on the paper. And while it was already known that imagined yeah, objects... Interesting have- theory, Joel. <laughs> 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 Wait, why? No, it's just funny that it's just a fact and they attribute it to who said it. Oh. Like as if it's like theoretical. (laughs) Like this guy has this outlandish view of how the eye works. That lights make your pupils smaller. Um, So, yes. So while it was already known that imagined objects can evoke so-called endogenous changes in pupil size, they were surprised to see more dramatic changes in those reporting more vivid imagery. So this really is the first biological objective test for imagery vividness. You know, there's um, before I was uh, before I got into stand up, I was a magician for a while, and as most not I shouldn't say that as some stand ups, a lot of stand ups, it has come up a lot lot of stand ups. There's there's crossover. There's crossover. So there is um, there is this trick that I once learned from this like kids magic book that was like if you you look someone dead in the eyes and you ask them to pick a number. That's either five or a million, and it's always like the, the the difference in the numbers has to be really great, and and generally speaking, it was like somewhat accurate. Uh, if you look them in the pupils and they pick the bigger number, usually their pupils expanded, and if they pick the smaller number, they either stayed the same or got smaller, and like I, I mean. Also, it's a fifty-fifty ch- chance, so maybe it's not even a real magic trick, but like in practice, it worked quite frequently so i wonder if that's a similar thing 
Because bigger you're imagining number, the number. Bigger, bigger number, bigger pupils or smaller pupils? Bigger number, bigger pupils. And I wonder if it's because you like, you know, when I say five or a million in your head, I wonder if you're imagining the number a million and somehow that imagining causes your pupils to get large in the similar way that the light and dark objects are. Like it triggers the same thing in your brain. I don't know, but yeah. that's a real well, thing. Well, that, that trick quit working because of inflation. It's just not that much, a million. Yeah, a million is just not that much anymore. <laughs> it's not, it just doesn't work. <laughs> now I'm trying to remember Matt without like giving away too much detail of, I mean, I don't think it matters, but Matt and I were working on a show that had an experiment element to it and there was a, a cutting room floor experiment involving food sensation and we were trying to track pupil size and I forgot what direction we were interested in seeing. Do you remember, Matt? I, I now can't either, but I can tell you there is another story that was uh, that is weirdly appropriate to this. This is a study that Emily Brown sent in a few days ago that said brain scanning studies are usually too small to find reliable results. <laughs> and this is this is studies that used MRI machines, which is significantly more advanced than any of the shit we were trying to do on this show. That uh, yeah, it's a tricky wick. It's a sticky wicket trying to demonstrate anything about the brain's activity on a TV show. Yeah, so so it says most studies that have used MRI uh, machines to find links between the brain structure or function and complex mental traits had an average of twenty three participants, but thousands are needed to find reliable results. Brain scanning studies that use MRI are often said to show links between the brain structure or patterns of activities and complex traits such as depression, autism, and certain aspects of personality. But for years, there's been suspicions that some of the headline-grabbing results aren't trustworthy. That has now been confirmed. A study by Scott Marrick at Washington University in St. Louis and colleagues found that such studies uh, need to look at the brains of thousands of people. They usually include an average of around 23 they analyzed results for three of the largest ongoing neuroimaging studies to date, including the UK Biobank study, which has scanned nearly 36,000 participants at the time. They looked at links between brain structure and functioning and two relatively well-studied traits, cognitive ability, and in children, scores on a checklist for psychopathology, which is a combination of several uh, behavioral measures. By doing oh. multiple analyses with uh, varying numbers of people, they showed that when the small sample sizes were used, they could find apparent correlations between those traits and the traits of the brain structure or function, but analyses of larger groups showed that those effects were either exaggerated or completely spurious. In some cases, different small samples could reach opposite conclusions simply because people's brains are so variable that random chance can sway the results one way or the other. I think my favorite part of this podcast is when you guys just read the articles because I never want to read them. I just want to hear Matt do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Is there, what am I trying to do with my American accent here? Jesus. Is, is there a reason the sample sizes are so small? Because I mean, I, MRIs are expensive as shit. I think. I like, think that I think that might yeah, be a large part of it. It's just it's just it's hard to get people to sit in an MRI scanner for long enough. And but they're radio neutral. Right, I know. I yeah, know they are harmless. Uh, I, yeah, so I know like uh, PET scan studies and stuff like that are a fucking nightmare to to get the clinical trial even approved. But um, yeah, I remember know, having diminishing, to diminishing returns and such. That was yeah. one of that was one of my episodes of uh, how to build everything was uh, the MRI scanner. So I, I ended up having to know a significantly large amount about how they worked for a very. That stayed in my head they're, for about a month, and now it's they're gone. like they, yeah they're pretty they're pretty intense. Like I I've gotten quite a few MRIs in the last couple months just because of because I I did hit my head quite quite hard uh, on the ground. Luckily I was wearing a helmet, so I survived it. But um, 
they're pretty terrifying and they're pretty expensive and it's not comfortable and i feel like to really to get a thousand brains it would take a while like it takes a, it takes a, a lot of people to do it like there's all these texts that are involved and then it takes someone else to read the results of it it's just like a labor intensive thing and i think most of the time if you're just if you're doing just like a study to see like how big pupils get when you think about black and white like i feel like it's hard to get funding for that kind of shit when cancer is still a thing you know? uh, yeah, but so so I have some some cancer history, you know, um, and I just had CT scans last week. Sometimes they will ask you if you want to be in a study while like, they do you for something while, else. Yeah, totally. And it's like, oh, interesting. yeah, okay. of course, you know, why not? So I feel like if you were getting one of your MRIs to check for head trauma, yeah. if if during that there if you sign a consent form beforehand and then halfway through they're like, Okay, we're gonna start the study now. Imagine a fire truck. That's okay, this okay, the study's over. You know, I think that'd be a good way to I, get data. I, I also I had the opposite version where I did I took part in a study for well, we actually did the episode about it. We did if you look back back in the archives, the episode we did with Aurea Mir where he's a uh, He's a comedian, but also a neuroscientist, and he was doing a wow. study about why about joke demonstration <laughs> uh, about. He's uh, just horrible at choosing income levels. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like this will be. <laughs> Which you came need, first, the neuroscience or the comedy? Yeah, when, when you're a neurosurgeon, you're going to need a solid plan B, and I feel like comedy is. Uh... <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry, Matt. He, no, no, no. But he he was. So he was doing a study about creativity and specifically what parts of your brain light up when you're trying to come up with jokes. And so he got me and a bunch of other stand-ups and, and improvisers to go in an FR MRI. Um, and the, the, way, the way it worked was, it was like a caption competition kind of thing where he'd show, up, he'd show a cartoon and you'd have to either think try and think of a funny caption or think of a neutral like unfunny caption or think of nothing those are the sort of two controls hmm. and uh but but while i was in the study it was funded by the university and and they covered it but part of the rules of it i guess part of the sort of the ethical rules of having people do an fmri is they also have to look at your brain for abnormalities like they show it to uh yeah. they also show it to a radiologist afterwards and just so I got an email afterwards saying, good news, you don't have a brain tumor. <laughs> yeah. I always wonder if there's ways to game those. Like, you know, like um, before you go to the dentist, you just like, you, you're like, I'm going to trick the dentist into thinking that I spent two hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm totally going to trick this dentist. And I always wonder with things like... Um, because that's like, what you want to do is trick the medical professionals into not helping. Yeah, you. yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, no, you just don't want to disappoint your dentist because I'm a, I'm, I feel like I'm a disappointment to dentists everywhere. Really, I think that um, dentists in, are like in and out of the office. They're all disappointed in everybody. <laughs> yeah, but when yeah. they say thank you for taking good care of your teeth, it does feel pretty good. It slaps. You're right. Yeah, <laughs> no, slaps. that slaps hard. It slaps hard. Um, get a bucket and a mop after that, yo. For I, that uh, wet ass dentist comment. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, no, I was just wonder if, like, if they found out something weird, like, like if you uh, if you're getting like a CT scan or MRI, but you drink like a bottle of V8 beforehand, they're just like, yeah, you have really advanced cancer, you know, just because of some weird secondary function. The Elaine you know? Venice poppy seed muffin thing. Yeah, yeah. like if you if you're just 
there has to be a way to cheat MRIs. Um, it was just like, no, just imagine this thing. I mean, but they're I- magnets, so like uh, maybe you could like do like have magnets somewhere, but like that would be terrifying because like I think the way that MRIs work is there's a big magnet that spins really fast around yeah. you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's... So do you want to fuck with that? Like, do you want to trick a system where there's a huge magnet that's like... Because I, I, it's huge. I, I would be nervous. Like, I don't know. As the thing was spinning when I was in there, I was like, oh, I hope this doesn't break. I don't... Well, no, I'm not I'm not saying you go in and take, a, take in a magnet with you. I just mean if it's, a, if it's a study about what parts of your brain light up when you're thinking of a joke, you know, you could just go in and be like, okay... Just in your in your head, be like, I am only going to think about horny stuff, and then, yeah. you know, if they're only but using they'd know that, I think I think they'd be like, oh, that's his like, that's that system that lights up when they're turned on, like sexually. So I bet that I, they, you, no, what, I think I think, I think the correlation throw away your results though. I what, think the correlation happens. a study would come out that would be like. That would be like humor and sex, like related, you know, like you would <laughs> right, derail right, right. the whole thing. <laughs> or next time. Or I feel like what, like I like I think what ends up happening is what they do is they take all of the results that line them up next to each other, and anyone who's like kind of off, unless it's a pattern, they just throw you away. They're like, oh, this person was just like weird. Like they're they're they'll much faster throw away your results than consider it a part of the experiment, unless they have enough of those where they can say that there's like a legitimate pattern between horniness and creativity. Yeah, you'd have to coordinate the horniness with the other participants. I'm just saying so it's possible. You have possible. a team meeting with everyone sitting in the waiting room. Okay, when they say think of something funny, think of penises or vaginas, whatever you're Yeah, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Just try to get turned on. Just get horny in the tunnel. Yep. <laughs> Which is something I'm very curious about with aphantasia people. I think we might have asked Brandy this, maybe off air, but like Ooh, in, some, in some non, you know, gross way, but like what is fantasizing to a person with aphantasia if it's not visual you know like is there sexual fantasy i'm sure there is what is aphantasizing sure yeah and by the way it's just it's just a well-written passage yeah i was gonna say (laughs) they just imagine the the pages of 50 shades of gray they just they just imagine nora roberts novels sure the words (laughs) and by the way there's a button on this story i forgot to get to that's kind of cool so we made it sound like this is just a disability and not a superpower of sorts, but it might have kind of it might kind of be because um, it can make you supposedly less prone to PTSD. So the person they oh. referenced in this article mm. said she was studying to become a paramedic and saying that that uh, it, it may give her an extra protective factor, and maybe that's because of I don't know picturing past trauma. So now I want to know from listeners we have those listeners with aphantasia. I don't know how you'd compare this. You don't have a baseline, but. Um, do they have a rosier outlook because they don't have oh. visual bad memories of bad events in their life? I, you, I don't know. You know what's really interesting is that I've so so that the accident that I was talking about, the motorcycle accident, when I hit that car, I that was the last thing I remember before I woke up on the street. And for like a good month or two afterwards, my brain couldn't stop replaying that exact moment. Right. Like I, I couldn't stop thinking about that exact moment. I kept picturing it. Every time I closed my eyes, it was just like burned into my mind and I think what my brain was trying to do or at least what it felt like it was trying to do was complete the moment like when you like when you're singing a song that you like and you just you, you don't finish it you just keep singing the chorus and yeah. your brain's trying to finish the song I think that's what my brain was trying to do so I suppose if you don't have an image like that your brain doesn't have anything to finish necessarily so I could see that being a real thing right by the way psychologist 
rec- psychologists recommend when you're in the condition you're in, what you should do is uh, visualize, and then you're good. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, no. just wrap it up. Just give yourself some wrap it up music. Well, maybe I should no, try that. No, don't stop. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, a Fantasia listeners, write in and tell us about, like, tell tell us more about the condition. Tell us more about the story. Uh, struck a chord with you. And what we're talking about, uh, listeners and emails, we have a, a clarification from Chris Nelson, scientist, uh, listener. Uh, we talked about yeast variations, the flavor of food, uh, a week or so ago. And uh, he said, uh, possibly you've already got deluged with emails from yeast nerds. They are legion. Nope. First first yeast nerd email that we've got. Uh, I've gotten several unrelated emails from yeast nerds. Yeah. Uh, they're always writing me, but it's... So, but we we talked about the variation of yeast and the impact on the flavor of foods and and beers. So Chris says a few points. You asked how different one yeast is to another. It's actually around uh, one out of a hundred bases that are different within S. Um, cerevisiae, which is a common. Have I pronounced that right? Cerevisiae, which is a common model yeast, much larger than the DNA variation between humans. That's all right. Uh, okay. s- some might quibble that yeast had a dense genome, though. I think, as you touched on, there are many distinctly re- related kinds of yeast that are useful to humans in bread and beer and belly buttons. The distantly related species and within species strains can differ wildly in the way they metabolize available sugar and other chemicals in dough or growth media. The flavors produced can be alcohols, acetic acids, uh, which is vinegar, a long uh, geranial alcohol that smells like roses, and lots of other smelly, tasty stuff. In the wild context, some of the odors from a yeast colony growing on fruit and its metabolites smell good to flies and serve as a me- means to pass yeast onto new locations. Some of it might also be about communicating or outcompeting other microbes in the area. Some of it's just byproducts of the best way the yeast can figure out how to grow. So yes, yeast variation changes the taste of food made with yeast. And hmm. uh, and also, he's added a favorite yeast fact. Louis Pasteur got hired... Uh, to figure out why wine was going sour in Lille, and that set the groundwork for his work in microbiology and the germ theory of infectious disease. Started with yeast. There we go. Started with wine. Started with yeast. Yeah, started with wine. Started with wine going sour. Louis Pasteur led to the germ theory. Interesting. That's awesome. Man, I, I feel bad that I missed that riveting yeast episode. I know. It, was, it <laughs> wasn't even a full episode. It was just a diversion. Yeah. yeah. You'd be so on the edge of your seat, you'd be on the floor. I was... It was like a Fast and Furious movie, that fucking episode. Um, <laughs> well, no, that's... Uh, so that's fast. So, yeah, yeast. There's there's a lot of it. It's different. I, I mean, I, it's... I've. I feel like I've recently uh, learned about like the the microbes and all of the bacteria in your stomach and how that's like a really important thing. You're like micro. What is it called? Like the, your, the gut your biome. Mi- yeah, the biome. Yeah, the the gut biome. Because I had to take some really like aggressive antibiotics after my uh, during recovery, and they were like, "You should take some probiotics afterwards." And I'm like, "I'm like so like yogurt." And they're like, "No, no, no. You got to go in hard with some real stuff." Yeah, so, yeah, eat the dirt. Yeah, get, 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 some, in get there. some real yeah. shit in there. Yeah, but uh, have you guys have you guys done an episode on like fecal transplants yet? It I has know. it oh, has yes. come up multiple times. So many. Oh, okay. Oh, multiple episodes about yeah. fecal transplants. Yeast and fecal transplants for probably science. That's- I would say three D three D printing uh, 
aphantasia and fecal transplants are like our top three most discussed things. <laughs> yeah, and sim- similar to similar to Louis Pasteur, the the fecal transplant was discovered by accident in uh, Germany. I've seen the film. <laughs> Um, so <laughs> Jesse, your, your theory on, uh, losers of, of world war two and their porn, uh, interests is still my favorite thing ever. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that your theory? Yeah. 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 If you what lost, is, if you lost world war two, you got into some weird porn. You stuff. have weirder porn. All the losers of world war two have the weirdest porn. And yeah, I, I mean, there, okay. and that might even, that might even not be like a jokey correlation. There might actually be some like. No, I think there is. Yeah, collective I think, societal yeah, yeah, guilt that begets some fetishes or like. What's the what's like? I'm trying to think of what like is Italian porn gross? Uh, Italian porn okay. is brutally weird. Uh, is so it? Uh, yeah. Oh. So Italian, Japanese, and German porn, I'd say, are the three weirdest porns. You know, oh, what's, I, I what's gotta. Well, yeah, what's Italian? weird about Italian? Yeah, I mean, I think I know Japanese and German, but Italian. You guys ever looked into Italian porn? <laughs> I'm sorry. No, that's new to me. <laughs> that's new to you? It's, I'm going to mean, not not for long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, get into, you know, heal up. Wait till your hand is healed and then <laughs> and then get into some Italian porn. Oh, it's so healed. It's probably the strongest <laughs> part of my body. I've been at home for four months. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, it's Italian. Italian porn is very strange. Um, you know, it's, it's it can be off putting. It can be very off putting. I mean, and especially immediately post, well, I'm not going to say immediately post-war, but like, I feel like 70s Italian porn uh, was, 70s and 80s Italian porn was uh, normalized the gangbang, you know? Um, Interesting. Okay. Yeah, extremely orgy-based, extremely, you know? Oh. Okay. Now, now we think nothing of it. We think, oh, another gangbang, Sno- snooze fest. Might as well be listening to the yeast episode, but it uh, <laughs> it it used to be quite jarring to people, um, you know, seeing um, such a, a sure. disparity in, in in genitalia aimed at one person. Right. I, I mean, I'm, I'm doing a, I'm doing a quick I'm doing a quick search here. It just feels like a lot of amateur shit. <laughs> I'm you sure. Know? Yeah. Well, moder- I mean, so these days, I mean, it's all kind of evened out. You know, yeah. Uh, these days, I mean, it's not German porn and Japanese porn. It's not that weird. It's know? more right, by amateur. Right. It's sort of more homemade. That's what the Italians like. That's what I was. That's what I was kind of saying by the amateur side of things. It looks like you know, like it's shot with like an iPhone. Like Mummy used to make. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, home movies. Yeah. yeah. By the way, corollary. I just thought of Jesse. I don't know if this applies to all wars, but is the Civil War the reason for America's fixation on step sibling porn? Interesting. Uh, I think that America's fixation on step-sibling porn is because it's really a fixation on incest, but you have to put the, – the, the search results have to have step before it. But that – I don't think – but that implies that everybody is just suppressing a natural desire to commit incest and, like, our biology is built not to. It's an aberration if you do like that because everything about – your sense, like your sense of smell, is like detecting yeah. those who yeah, are most genetically different from you, and right, but, like, but, right, but why? why, why, why? But then aren't that as an aren't like almost all kinks basically taboos? Or, yeah, exactly. It's taboos or aberrations or basically ways of reframing things that you would otherwise dislike. 
you know, people people have but, like you know you you, you are cultured you have you're kind of nurtured to not want to be hit or not want to you know not want to yeah but that's that's sex in general Every, everything about sex is awful unless you're having sex you know what i mean <laughs> like if, uh-huh. if like if I'm going to buy a sandwich and I, someone starts choking me, it's the fucking you know, it's horrible. It's all horrible. Being naked is horrible, you know. Unless you're having sex, it's awful. Being in the dark sucks, you know. It's all sucks. So I think that <laughs> I wonder <laughs> if the step thing. I feel like I've thought about this, but I've always just like chalked it up to the fact that like I just can't imagine where, let's say you're like. A preteen, you know, you're like fairly young, and then uh, maybe maybe like early teens when your like hormones are kind of ranging, and then all of a sudden like your single mom marries this guy, and suddenly he's got this daughter, and suddenly you're like, oh, she's hot, but now she's like my sister. I wonder if that's what it's aimed at, like people who met their step siblings like at a time when they were sexually turned on, like in their brain, and the like the, the taboo part of it is the thing that's like kind of keeping them from being attracted cuz like i i i don't know like i'm trying right. to think like it's if not you, really in, it's not biologically incest but it is taboo but you can't do it so you right. just like sit there and go like ah oh, but if i could yeah it's like a meta thing. it's like a meta kink or something kind of yeah cuz i've asked like you know when you talk to like when you talk to people and you're like like i've had friends who had really hot siblings and they are just so disgusted by it right like they're like ah oh, she's not hot at all and i'm like well okay i don't know how you could say that because it's just a fact your sister's hot but <laughs> i think that when it's a step they can you could see it you can't like your brain isn't like oh family no your brain's like i mean maybe <laughs> i don't know yeah it, you know speaking of kinks guys you know what nasa was just told by a panel of scientists what's that andy they were told to make uranus a priority well, that was what they I've been were told. Getting so many DMs from NASA. Yes. <laughs> mm. so it's uh, Justin Broad sent in this story. And, yeah, thank uh, you, Justin. It, I think they mean oh. the planet. Oh, okay. Well, we've yeah. had this. We've had this has come up before, and oh, it's uh, is, wait. The planet is boring. Hmm. Yeah. So this uh, this panel of scientists told U.S. space agency NASA that they should prioritize a mission to Uranus or Uranus, the ice giant, which is the seventh planet in our solar system. Uh, orbits the sun 19 times further out than we are here on Earth, and it's only been visited once before in a brief flyby by the Voyager, Voyager 2 probe in 1986. Researchers think an in-depth study of Uranus, I'm going to call it that for the rest of the story, can help them better understand the many similarly sized objects now being discovered around other stars. Heard NASA's studying your mom. Yeah. <laughs> the recommendation is made in a document published by the U.S. National Academy of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine, known as a Decadal or decadal, I'm guessing once a decade, survey. It's the summation of what the American research community thinks are the big planetary science questions right now and the space missions required to answer them. NASA has broadly followed the recommendations of previous National Academies reports. Okay, so this is, has some weight. The last planetary decadal, let's say decadal, survey published in 2011 had as its top two priorities a rock collection mission to Mars, which became the Perseverance rover, which is now on the surface of Mars, and a mission to Jupiter and its moon Europa, which is currently being prepared for launch in 2024. That's the Europa Clipper spacecraft. So, okay, this probably means it'll happen if they recommended it then. Um, Specialists who study the outer planets in our solar system have been campaigning for a return visit to either Uranus or Neptune ever since their late 80s Voyager 2 encounters. And the science case has only strengthened over the intervening years, proponents argue. Look at the size range of planets now being discovered around other stars, and they seem to dominate in a range that's about three and four times the width of the Earth. 
that's Uranus and Neptune. And that actually poses a problem for planet formation theories, explained Professor Lee Fletcher, who contributed to the report. Uh, they think that uh, they understand how something gets as big as Jupiter, and they think they understand how something gets to be the size of Earth and Venus. But in the middle, in that kind of sweet spot between those end members, we don't fully understand how a world can start to grow and grow and not just carry on to become Jupiter mass in size. So a mission to Uranus could help us answer that. I love, how, I love how science will pose very kind of like seemingly uninteresting questions just to answer them. Like, why do we, what, who gives a shit? It's like a middle-sized planet. Why do we need to find out why it didn't get bigger? You know what I mean? I just, what a funny question to discover while answering another question and then going like, this is the one we got to answer. Well, it's, it has to do with exoplanets, planets outside of our solar system that uh, seem to be Stay in the that same size, size range. Yeah. yeah. So they said there's favor favorable launch opportunities in 2031 and 32 that would allow a spacecraft to use a gravity slingshot around Jupiter to shorten the cruise time to Uranus to just 13 years. A spacecraft would go into orbit around the planet, which would preclude any observations at the more distant Neptune. The eighth and outermost planet will have to wait its turn. Um, so Uranus so, is also so we're not doing Pluto anymore. That well, we did still Pluto. Out? We, no, we, we, we flew by Pluto. No, but they just called Neptune the most distant. So I'm saying Pluto's Well, Pluto's out. been disregarded as a planet for a while, right? I See, I thought we brought it back in for a minute. I thought it, I thought it had like a brief comeback. No, I think its orbit and its size are such that we can't. Like, I think it ended up okay. being smaller than we thought when we went out to it. Is that right? I, I think there are some moons in the solar system that are similarly sized to okay. Pluto. I could be wrong. I think that's kind of funny that we took a picture. It's like, that's like a Tinder profile. Like, hey, you're not as... You're not as tall as you said you were, <laughs> Pluto. <laughs> uh, so Uranus is an oddity compared to other planets in our solar system, also in that its axis of rotation is almost parallel with the plane of its orbit around the sun. I didn't know that. That's weird. It's as if it had been knocked onto its side, which may well be the explanation. Scientists speculate that it suffered a massive impact with another body early in its history. It mm. also has rings and plenty of moons. Indeed, the moons are quite a draw because a good many of them are likely to be, quote, ocean worlds. This is the idea that you've got an icy crust, and then you've got some kind of liquid briny ocean down at depth that may or may not be in contact with whatever silicate rock material is down at the bottom. Hmm. Um, so all of the big five classical satellites around Uranus are thought to be ocean world candidates. Those moons could have cryovolcanic, as an ice volcano, activity taking place on them. Um, and an ice giant is a worthy target for NASA flagship, and of all the potential candidates assessed in what would be the most expensive class of endeavor, the Uranus mission was the most mature technically. It's the only one to receive a low, me low to medium rating for its risk. So because of that, we're extremely excited to recommend that the highest priority new flagship should be a Uranus orbiter and probe. This will be a fantastic multi-year mission with the probe dropping into the planet at the beginning of the mission followed by an extended orbital tour investigating the satellites, their interiors, the magnetosphere, the rings, and the atmosphere. I I'm still trying to work out what it means to have its axis of rotation parallel with the plane of its orbit. So does that like mean... It's, on its, it's 90 degrees rotated from what you'd expect a planet to be. So, so what, but what, is that, what would that actually mean for the... Um, right, like compared to what? For, for the compared days. To all the rest of the planets are mostly their, their oh. orbital axes are perpendicular to their... Um, I'm sorry, their rotational axes are perpendicular to the, oh, the gotcha, ecliptic gotcha, gotcha. plane. Right, yes. but I'm just trying to think yes. whether that would affect... Um, whether that would affect anything, or whether it would still... You still have a north and a south pole that's colder and, a, and an equator that's hotter, and you'd still have well, days... would it be a north and south pole or like a west and east pole then? But the, the, well, the, hemispherically, the seasons would be the same. Right. Well, right. well, well no, no, seasons could be totally different because also 
uh, maybe it can't happen that far out, but is it like tidally locked? So it's one of its poles is always pointing towards the sun or is, is that oh, rotational yeah. pole always oriented the same way in space and then all sides of the planet will eventually get light as it goes around the sun? I don't well, know and it's things. so far away from the sun that in theory, the season changes wouldn't be nearly as intense because, right? Oh, because yeah. I'm, I'm sure there's not a big difference in what's happening on the light and dark sides out there. But well, I, who knows? I know. Summer in Uranus is amazing. You should definitely visit. By the way, did you guys know? Uh, I'm just going to drop some facts I've learned in the course of prepping to do this stargazing tour thing. Uh, the, that the North Star uh, isn't always and won't always be our North Star, and it's not even that long of a time frame when it's not going to be? I did not know that. Yeah, so it's even well, like... what's I think not it's only that like, long of a time frame? Like, on the order of thousands and tens of thousands of years instead of yeah, millions yeah. or billions. So yeah, still, yeah. like, there's recorded history when the North Star was not the North Star. So it, it, it's like a top... It's procession, the same way when you spin a top, in addition to its own rotation around its axis, its actual axis wobbles slowly so that's what our axis does also so there's this circle in the sky it'll draw between i forgot the name of the star that's on the opposite end of that circle from where we are now but um it's a sizable circle it'll trace through the sky so we're just kind of lucky to be in this period where we have this star lined up with our pole right now or like the last thousand years we've been lucky to have that for navigation and such this has been Andy's Astronomy Corner. Well, I'm just I'm just sitting here thinking, like, how many people are really using the North Star these days to navigate? I mean, I do. I mean, when I go to be... Burbank, I'm like, I just got to look at Polaris and just, I mean, like, okay, we, I'm going to Burbank. We're the beneficiaries of, of, of centuries of, of explorers who were able to use that. Like, is, could that be part of the reason that, like, it's not like Southern Hemisphere countries ended up becoming the seafaring powers who went elsewhere? Like, I don't know. Is that related? The Southern Hemisphere has nothing directly over the pole it's got stuff you can navigate by but like i don't know that could have played some part in you know in addition to all those like guns germs and steelsy things yeah um, this is weird but former seafaring empires have very very normal porn uh, <laughs> I've, dis- I've discovered um, that uh I, naval naval empires while you were talking i found a uh i found a, a a video from nasa that shows the um uh the the movement of Jupiter, uh, sorry of, of Uranus rather, and it's it's weirder than I thought. Hmm. Um, hang on, I've put put the link there because it it kind of you are getting. It looks like it is in a plane, but the plane is not. The plane is not locked to the pointing at the sun. It's almost like it's still. So as it rotates round. It uh, one end, one side is going to be pointing at the sun on one part of the orbit, and then the other, and then the other bit of the rotational plane is going to be pointing at the other side of the orbit. So definitely not tidal lock then. Yeah. No. Hmm. Which is like our moon, where we always see the same side as it right. spins around us. Right. Um, Interesting. So do we believe? So you mentioned that uh, the moons of Uranus are like the ocean planets or whatever. So do we believe that there could be? There could be life on those moons because there's water, and if there's water and briny stuff, then there could be some kind of life down there? Yeah, I think that's a big part of why we're sending something to Europa, which I'm pretty sure is also like that. Let me make sure. We've talked about it so many times, and I always forget if it's... uh... Not as many times as fecal transplants, clearly. (laughs) Yeah. You'd be able to pull that fact out of your ass quickly. Yeah. Hey. Hey. I mean, I know there was a cat on Mars, but curiosity killed it. You know what I'm saying, baby? (laughs) Hey. Hey. 
Yeah, yeah Europa dude, is. Got, yeah. Europa is ice on the uh, crust, a surface of mostly water ice, and underneath that, ocean of liquid water or slushy ice. And that's mm. that's a Saturn moon, right? Europa. Uh, Jupiter, no. I believe. Jupiter, Isn't that's it? Jupiter. Yeah. Yeah, there there is a Europa story. We need to wrap up the main episode and and oh, fit yeah. in an extra quick story for our for um our Patreon patrons. But Jupiter's moon Europa may have a have a habitable ice shell. Is uh, Justin also sent in this story? Ice moons are cool. I mean, obviously, if we found a forest moon, that would mean life elsewhere. But man, I really want to see a forest moon. You know, it's just such just a like, forest. Nothing else. Uh, just, yeah, it's just such a like seventies like stoner blacklight poster concept. You know, <laughs> a forest moon. <laughs> it's like a King Crimson album. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I gotta get into that. <laughs> Lark's tongues and forest moons. Um, yeah, yeah. So, oh, it says here Jupiter's moon Europa may have a habitable ice shell. Wow, yeah. We will okay. know soon-ish, but not super soon. If Hey, uh, Andy, if anybody knows that answer, how can they get in touch with us? You know what they can do? They can email probablyscience at gmail.com or individually. I'm... Uh, Reluctantly on Twitter and things at Andy T. Wood, and you're at Matt Kirshen, I believe. I am at Matt Kirshen. And just at Jesse Case or at Jesse S. Case? Or no, it's just Jesse Case, at Jesse at Case. At Jesse Case. I should know these and things s- by now, but I never say this part. Greg, how can no, they find it- everything else that you're up to? They don't need to find me. Uh, <laughs> they can they can find me on Instagram, at Berman Comedy, and I have a website, gregberman.com. And then the back issues of your podcast as well. That's right, yeah. Greg's Guided Meditation on Spotify and iTunes and all the other ones. You can find links to the stories we cover at probablyscience.com as well. That's also where our Patreon and PayPal links are. Thank you very much to everyone who supports the show through that. And again, probablyscience at gmail.com for any questions, comments, clarifications, stories you'd like us to cover. Greg Berman, thank you for joining us. Oh, this has been a pleasure. I feel like I learned so much. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye.